Hello and welcome back to How To PhD, episode number 10. Now this could be the topic that a lot of PhDs worry about the most. We're going to be talking about how do you find your research question and how do you write one? Hello and welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in again. My name is Aaron and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Julia. Hi. And so this week on Twitter, we put out a question and we wanted to know what the listeners, what kinds of topics the listeners wanted us to cover on the show. And we got a huge number of responses. Thank you so much for, to everyone who wrote in. Uh, but over on Instagram, we had two um, two people uh, at IGNAGD and at PhD and underscore life who wanted to know how do you know if your research question is novel and how do you find your research question for novel topics, right? This is quite tricky, especially when there's not a lot of literature around. Um, and over on Twitter, Nick Fox asked, uh, a lot of research guys talk about general rules, but don't give specific examples of what is good and what is bad. Uh, could you cover this? For example, this is an example of a bad research question because, and if it were changed to this, it would be better. And we realized actually, and by the way, this is in addition to a lot of people who contacted us over email about the similar kind of topic. And a lot of this we realized actually links very very well together, right? It's about finding your novel topic, which can be extremely challenging. And then how do you write something around that? Um, now, Julia, how, how did your sort of process go for creating your research question? Yeah, so I think I found it very confusing at the beginning as well. And I think what Nick Fox is saying as well is that, yeah, that there's no general, there's no one rule. And um, it just reminds me actually of a story from a children's book where, um, I think I shared that with you once, but it's about a girl and she wants to paint her bike. And um, she asked several people like, how should I color it? And all of them say like, oh, do blue or do green or do that. Yeah. And I think with a research question, if you give it to 10 different people, you will get um, like loads of different suggestions. How can I actually formulate that? So I think there's a little bit of, um, yeah, there is not one right way to do it, but hopefully today we will give you some practical advice on what co yeah is considered a good or bad research question. Also provide some examples to make it a little bit clearer. Um, but yeah, there's no right and wrong. Yeah, <laughs> like unfortunately, right yeah, wrong maybe. It, it's it's pretty. Um, well, there, there may be boundaries like that you should stick to, that's and right. I think that's what we can cover today. That's yeah. right. Yes. So. As I said, show is going to be split into two parts, which is how do you find your search question for novel topics and how do you actually write one? So let's get started with how do you search for a research question in the vast amount of literature that exists? So how do we go about finding a research question for novel topics? Uh, now, I guess this really boils down to essentially it's about identifying problems, right, Julia? Yeah, so I think that that's really important to um, identify problems that can be solved or addressed um, um, or help us to understand more about it by your research question or, but yeah, your research idea. Um, so what I tend to do um, is that I go to recent journal articles um, ideally like literature reviews because they often summarize a whole area quite well. And then um, what I specifically look for is in the discussion section of a journal paper, it usually includes a some kind of um, 
yeah, future research ideas or implication for future mm. research. And I think that's a good place to start. Just um, grab some literature reviews and look what the authors talk about in the implications for future research bit. And yeah, just go straight to Google Scholar and um, put the setting on recent so that I, I'm sure, yes. I'm, yeah, I know that the um, topics are really relevant. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, for literature reviews, just type your topic in and, and put literature review, review after it. Or, it's, it's so yeah. simple, but I, I didn't really do this in my first year and I wish I did. Um, mm. But it's so useful because basically someone's sort of done the work for you in summarizing it. Um, now, of course, some topics are very, very novel, right? And there might not be a lot of literature that even exists, right? And, you know, we know how slow journals can be. It could be a year or two before these things start to appear. So you might be a bit confused, but, you know, don't be afraid to use things like magazines, trade reports. Um, in the UK, there are a lot of government reports published from the from the government, which have all sorts of statistics and, and findings that they found. Website blogs, for example, don't be afraid about the fact that it's not a formal kind of source, but it can give you a lot of insight into where the interests are right now. And often a lot of these novel topics will start in this kind of informal domain and then work out towards, you know, journals mm -hmm. and things like that. So, you know, it's incredibly challenging. And, you know, speaking to my own experience, this was exactly the same in automated vehicles. You know, five years ago, there was very little research published on self-driving cars and it was all really technical stuff. It wasn't anything on user research, right? So I looked around the topic and I think that's the second point is, you know, use these kind of other sources to also look around the topic. So I was looking at user research. So I looked at, hey, what's the user research in other contexts, right? What's been done in planes? What's been done in trains? What's been done in computers and mobile consumer electronics and things um are there stuff that they've done over there that they haven't done on this side of the topic right and using all these sources um and again you know i think another point just to emphasize using government um I don't know what you'd call them. They're kind of government scientific interests. And usually these are things that come out in funding opportunities. And so you can search, uh, you know, wh whichever country you are, US, UK, uh, Europe, funding opportunities, and have a look what sort of things the government's funding. And so just to give you another example, and I'm sorry, I'll give the mic to you in a bit, Julia. <laughs> uh, but to give another example, um, quite recently, a friend of mine contacted me saying, hey, look, the government are interested in amending the highway code, which is essentially the rule book for driving in the UK. Uh, they're looking at getting uh, opinions from experts on how they should change that for automated vehicles, right? And this was just on the government website. Suddenly, that's an interesting research topic, right? Mm. What is, how should the rules of the road be adapted for automated vehicles? And that's that's kind of the work's been done for you. So have a look, have a look at your government website, see if there are resources like that um, beyond just journals. Um, and then of course you can try and, you know, justify a topic based on this gap and a little bit of your intuition, right? You can um, use that to sort of say, hey, look, you know, we can we can see that there's a gap here. I can't justify it formally through literature, but there is enough here for me to say, yeah, we need to sort of carry on with this. Then as a 
final suggestion, I guess you could do something what I call as a kind of scoping study. And this is what I did. Um, so I ran my first study in my PhD was super broad. It was an interview study. It covered loads of different topics to do with this area of interfaces inside vehicles. And through this kind of qualitative method, I was able to kind of see on, a, on many different areas, where's the interest, right? Where's the stuff that we clearly don't have an answer for? And then I can, in a way, create my own justification for doing the work that we're doing. And I think that's that's quite a unique thing. And because again, I didn't have literature to depend on. So I kind of had to make my own, right? Um, and so these are many different ways you can do to, to try and identify your niche. Um, using sort of what's written out there. But Julia, I guess there are other ways as well where you can sort of be more direct in contacting people perhaps. Yeah, so I think if you, for example, know that there are some top researchers in your field, then um, do follow them on Twitter or ResearchGate and just have a look at what kinds of things they are posting about. And again, that can give you some idea um, of what research interests are at the moment and um, where your gap could be. And you can also contact them and of course be concise and to the point what you want and highlight your interest in the topic. And yeah, just sometimes bouncing off ideas with other researchers, I think can be really helpful. Yeah. And then I think another thing, because um, we were talking about novel research questions, I think sometimes um, we don't have to get too focused on the topic as well, because even if somebody has had like a very similar research question um, to to the one that you have in mind, um, you might use different methods to explore it. Um, you might do it in a different setting or with a different kind of population. So there are kind of different ways to in innovate like a research question that has already been answered elsewhere and um, I guess the more research we have on one question as well um, in different countries and settings um, the the more it builds up to understanding how much we really know about a topic yeah Um, Yeah. so you don't have to reinvent or find something completely um, yeah completely novel that's right (laughs) yeah and look I think in the end you know just to give a sort of honest comment on this it it is not an easy process and there is no one magic answer. So don't despair. And yeah, really, as Julia says, don't underestimate the value of doing something methodologically different. And to give you another example, you know, for example, with my research, as we come, came into the sort of second and third year, then we found that other people were doing similar things, but we had a methodological difference in that we had this immersive driving simulator right we had this big driving sim and so we could say that we had a more kind of immersive methodology for example so don't don't underestimate the value of doing something methodologically different and i think recognize that it's an evolving process right and and don't worry if if it's not perfect in the first months or the or the first year i mean Julia, I mean, we, I, I don't know about you, but I was editing my research question up until the sort of last couple of months, just like tweaking the odd word here and there. Um, so it's something that can continue and evolve. And look, openly talk about this journey in your thesis. And I think this is the final point that we want to make today is try and capture all of this in a journal. I think we talked about it in the in the first episode of How to PhD, but try and capture your thoughts and then put this into your thesis, right? Discuss how you found out that there weren't any sources, how you looked at different sources like articles, how you contacted this person. You know, this kind of journey showing how you evolved and developed is so, so useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and examiners love to see that. Um, 
And I guess, Julia, something that, that you've done is also is to just present. Right. Yeah, I think that's um, always important just to pr present it. And uh, the more and more you present it, um, the more and more you will understand whether it passes the kind of so what test, right? So does it resonate with people? Do they think um, what you're doing is it is it interesting? For whom is it interesting? And um, and why um, is it kind of a, a hot topic at the moment? Or is it something that um, is, is a little niche, but it has to like kind of... Um, be understandable why it's interesting and important to research that question. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, potentially contacting these researchers, as you said, Julia, uh, could help you answer that kind of so what and make sure that this research has that kind of um, that kind of impact. Right. right. So I guess we got to get a bit more practical on answering, like, what is a good and bad research question right. in the next yes. section? Exactly that. So let's talk about actually writing the research question. So let's talk about actually writing the research question. And I guess, you know, unfortunately, as the listener uh, asked, as Nick Fox asked, you know, unfortunately, there aren't really specific rules that we can give. And I think this is because there's such a vast range of topics and vast range of types of questions that unfortunately you do end up with a lot of generic rules, but hopefully some of these we've tried to sort of focus in into things that you can really start looking out for mm. so you can train your eye to see what's good and what's bad. So hopefully this will still help. Um, and I guess uh, sort of the first point, right, is when you write your research question, you want it so that there's no simple answer, right? You want it to be sort of open-ended and, and to consider a kind of, cause and effect element to it right it's got to be sort of focused but not too focused challenging but not impossible right and i guess uh, julia that sort of touches on this second point around sort of feasibility right yeah so i think um when you read a journal paper for example um i often start by looking at their research question and then i kind of read the results and i think at this point i know half the researchers delivered what mm, they were yeah. promising to investigate so i think that that maybe maybe that's the one um yeah one rule really is that you have to deliver what you set up to yeah so yeah. did you answer your research question so i think you if you're in the middle of your phd for example and you feel you still haven't kind of refined your research question then maybe just look at what have you done what have you found out in your research and then try to like um, formulate the research question around that so it matches because what you don't want to do is that you have a research question and then you do something different or you can't don't come up with the other I think that will be really one red flag yes um, if it doesn't match what you have been doing to the research question yeah yeah and I guess that touches on a point about that we said before about you know not being afraid to tweak your research question if you set it and then you discover that actually it's not really feasible and it's not really answerable with the, the things that you can do yet then you can tweak that you can change that and you can update it um and I guess on a sort of more practical sense often you know the way this can come about and particularly this point we said about not having a simple answer you can use particular words to kind of help incite this in the research question so for example a good research question will often begin with words such as how right what why which yeah these are sort of words that kind of 
begin to promote that kind of deeper search for an answer. Right, yeah. um, and then, of course, it's then up to you what follows that needs to still be feasible. So, but using these kind of initial words can help with that. And Julia, there's a sort of tool um, called PCOS, right, which you can use to try and begin to sort of get this right kind of structure and make sure the right things are in that question. Yeah, so I think PCOS is um, quite a yeah a tool um, that is used, for example, for systematic reviews, um, at least in the health <laughs> literature. And it's just like to help you kind of structure or think through your research question. What PCOS stands for is like the P stands for population, the I stands for intervention, the C for comparison, O for outcome, and S either I think for setting or study design. Mm. So I think it just helps you to kind of um, if you feel research question is not very focused to think like um, which population are you looking at so for example in my research question was about pharmacy users so like um, how can pharmacy users experience be improved or something so you have an indication about the population then with regards to the intervention I looked at pharmacy based sector so, so like um, how can the experience of pharmacy users from community pharmacies um be improved then you have the intervention there and so on and i think you don't have to cover all of them and they're kind of the different versions of picos um but it just helps you to think about what what is your research focusing on really yeah it gives you that sort it of breaks guide. it down yeah in yeah. different components um because in the end the challenge is to transform your research question into a valid study design um and to kind of, that will help you refine the research question and as i said like if you have your methods set or if you've already done some research look what you answered and then yeah formulate the question based on that that's right that's right and i guess you know we mentioned this before i guess this final point with a good research question is that it's something that has impact right it's something that people want to know about and it, it kind of passes this sort of this sort of so what test Mm -hmm. uh, in order to, to to see that it's something that people want to know mm -hmm. um, and of course I guess on the on the sort of flip side of this in terms of research questions that might might not be achievable is that for example a research question that might be only answered with an opinion right or mm -hmm. something that can't really realistically be researched with data yeah you can't find exactly. the data or facts for that um, so I'm not sure. Do you want to have a go at finding an example? Right. Of that? Yeah. Let's what take an example. Like, um, <laughs> for example, uh, what what do people experience before they're born? For mm. example, you know, or where do we come from? Where do we come from? I mean, I, who knows? Maybe in philosophy, or maybe people yeah, are. That's true. <laughs> it would yeah. be interesting how uh, research will be done on that. But yeah, so what happens to us after we die is. I assume <laughs> if somebody wants to contradict, but getting data on that, you can have like different, yeah, ideas yeah. or um, theories, but you can't really collect data on that. Um, so that would probably not be the best pick for your uh, PhD thesis. That's right. Yeah. And Julia, you sort of mentioned to kind of begin to unpick this and to sort of come up with a question that, that does, you know, meet some of the things that we talked about is to use if statements, right? Yeah, so that was just a thought. I haven't actually like done that, but it just made me. I was attending a course last week, which was about realism, real review. Anyway, so um, I kind of based on that, I was thinking, um, why not try write down your research question in kind of a, st a statement or your idea, like as in, if we can find out X by doing 
x y <laughs> then we can so like just get into mindset so if we can find out in my phd um topic for example if we can find out um how pharmacy users experience getting delivered a service in the pharmacies by doing um interview studies and quantitative um analysis then we can better understand how um we can encourage people to use pharmacies more so just like if you create a sentence that kind of um starts making sense to other people if you communicate your research i think then you're hopefully on a, on a good way to having a meaningful impactful question yeah that's right you sort of getting the conceptual side ready and then you can begin to word it using some of the things that we've talked about um and then of course on the flip side as we discussed you know some of the words that are good a research question might have a bad research question might start with the words things like who when where you know how many how much right these are things that that very that kind of highly specify your research which might be good for maybe like a journal paper or a very specific research question but for a thesis you really want that kind of open-ended sort of there's there's an answer that can be explored um and so hopefully you know with these kind of tips this puts you in the sort of right mindset to be able to identify you know hey look you know i can see i've used you know i can i've used how and why here uh, i've used pcos to try and identify which parts of the research question could be something that that is interesting and, and um, unique i've considered the feasibility um, but the point is you know with all this thing it it's extremely hard and it's very difficult to give you know absolutely rock solid advice so the first thing you've got to make sure is that you've got open and strong communication with your advisors or supervisors this is this is super super important because they know your topic very very well and i think it's it's something that at some level you need that kind of expertise to come into this for someone to say how oh, look you know i know that this has been done or i know this is not feasible and you, you only by having that kind of intense mm. experience that your supervisors do uh, are they going to be able to answer that and so it's really important and i think episode two or three of how to phd covers a lot of this how do you work with your supervisors and a lot of that stuff managing that relationship can help sort of develop this research question in collaboration and as i've said you know multiple times in this episode you know don't be afraid to tweak it it is an evolving process it might change mm. according to different things that come out different yeah. research you know don't be afraid to evolve that yeah so for example i'm working on a project right now and um we'll be doing a literature review special type of literary uh, a realist review and um we started having a quite a broad research question. And um, when we started doing our like scoping searches and literature searches, we realized there's far too much literature for us to like mm. look at the question that broadly. So just after a couple of months, we had to decide, okay, we need to narrow it down. We need to focus it more. Um, so yeah, you have to be flexible and, and that it, that's that's okay. And um, before sometimes before you don't look at what's already out there, um, you, you don't have that information. So I think um, definitely it might might really have to change in some areas. That's right, yeah. And, you know, it, just again, to speak from sort of personal experience, you know, I did this many times with tweaking the research question. And oftentimes it was, it was really just a single word that changed, that changed yeah. the whole meaning of the research question. And unfortunately, this is what makes it so difficult to give specific advice because it's so tuned to your topic. So use those supervisors. Of course, 
you know, if you like to send your research questions to us for us to have a look, we're more than happy to have a read and, and give our thoughts on it. Please do. Um, we, we recognize that this is one of the most difficult, most um, fluid topics that uh, that's part of the PhD and it's a real challenge. But I thought we should end this segment with just a couple of examples. So again, these are examples from my PhD. Um, so these might not be great. <laughs> these might not be great um, sort of uh, examples of how you should do this, but I'm gonna give you three research questions. So this first one is too broad, right? So for example, how should we design interfaces for partially automated vehicles? So it started off well, right? You've got that how, which is what we said is a good thing. Um, and it's got this thing about interfaces, so it's getting specific, but it's, it's interfaces could cover sound, it could cover visual, it's just way too broad, right? Mm. Then we've got another question, which is a bit too specific. So how should sounds be designed to notify drivers of a particular failure in a level two automated system? This, mm. is, this is way too specific, right? It's mm. good, right? It does suggest that there is a kind of depth to it, but in my opinion, this might be a little bit too specific maybe for a thesis maybe for a study maybe that's a better one yeah it depends i guess yeah. on how broad sound design is and you will know that better but um i guess yeah it's, it's nice in the way that we have a bit more focus um but yeah it might be if you're if if you're that's your thesis question maybe that's a quite niche then that's right mm. but again you know as we said it's an evolving process perhaps if i just remove the thing about notifying mm. issues during a particular issue and just kind of said how should how should that sound mm. be used to communicate with drivers in level that might be a bit more specific mm. right but you uh, could see that here um you said like drivers so we have a population in here and yes. um, interventions are going back to the PCOS um, level two automated system. We have the kind of yes. intervention, or I don't know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, um, here as well. Or the kind so of setting. and It's getting there. Yeah, <laughs> right. So again, using PCOS, yeah. you can begin to identify, oh, I've ticked this, this, this in my mm -hmm. research question. Um, and then coming up to the research question that I actually had in my thesis. So hopefully it's not bad um but how can the graphical hmi so that means interface more appropriately support the driver in the use of a partially automated level two system right mm -hmm. so this again is more specific on the graphical side but again as we talked about you know it's it's talking about appropriately supporting the driver so it's not as specific as the last one which was talking about a specific issue mm. um, it's talking more about generally about the driver in their use of the partially automated mm. system so again thinking about to PCOS, uh, you've got your context there Oh, sorry, you've got your uh, setting, uh, you've got the population being drivers mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, so hopefully that's that's a bit that's a bit yeah. more just right. Oh. The more appropriately maybe is <laughs> gives a lot of wiggle room. But I think that's quite common. So or you could maybe say like, yeah, how can it be improved? How can support be improved? Okay. And I yeah. think, but then what you expected to do is probably to describe, okay, what are the current problems, right? If you're suggesting it needs to be improved, then there is a problem, right? That you identified and that you can outline in your background, which I which you did. That's right. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. really glad I didn't have you as an examiner. <laughs> You've poked so many holes in it. Um, but yeah, so hopefully that's given you a sort of example of how you can use some of the thought process that we've talked about to begin to identify what's good and bad. But the, as you can see, you know, in that, for example, that one that was too specific within by just changing one or two words, we've been able to get something that's a bit more effective. So actually, 
you might not be that far off, but you just need that experience and that guidance uh, to pull you through and, and to kind of give you that push in the right direction. So hopefully that's given you a good idea of how to identify some novel topics for research and then how to go about actually creating the research question. So here we are at the end of another episode. Thank you so much for listening to How to PhD. If you know of someone who you think could benefit from this episode, then please do share this with them. And of course, if you enjoy listening to How to PhD and you would like to support us, you can do that by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by visiting our website at howtophd.show and leaving a small donation through Buy Me a Coffee. As always, huge thank you to everyone who's donated, who's got in touch with us, we love hearing from you and we're so grateful for the for the immense support that we get um, and of course do get in touch with us email contact at howtophd.show our twitter and instagram handles are at howtophdshow and of course we just want to say again thanks to jobs.ac.uk for working with us to promote the show um, always great to have them on board and actually a very useful resource for what's going to come in next week's episode right Judah? that's true so yeah thanks to everyone who gave us their um, ideas for what we should um, do um, yeah. another episode on and i think what came up quite a lot in emails but also in different posts on social media is what to do after the phd um, where to apply to academia industry um, and what to kind of consider so i think that's going to be in our next episode. Yeah, a bit more of a job-related CV kind of application kind of episode. So, yeah, should be should be an interesting one. We look forward to seeing you there. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you all next time. <laughs>